your demand. Your demand! Another one of the many's podcast? Well, you come to the right place. Because I am John Bensalia and I'm commentating on episode three of the Underwater Menace today. Apologies for the uh, for the bad prefaces out of impression. But anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, counting us down in five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, come on then. Actually, it's not it's not my DVD player. It's um it's these DVDs. Because when I pressed play in the way back, it instantly went to the episode. But the uh, the Doctor Who DVDs don't um don't always load up instantly when I click on each episode. Anyway, right, Underwater Menace episode three. Ah, oh, the years, the only surviving episode of this story. Um, and probably not the greatest example of uh, of the story or or of Doctor Who as a whole. Actually, it's um it's quite quite over the top. <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph Force really kind of hamming it up to the max here, right from the get-go. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't help when you got lines like that, unfortunately. Um Yeah, this was yeah, this was the only available episode, and it was on the uh, Lost in Time DVD. And, uh, and for years, I, I would just you know sort of watch this, and uh, before I knew about the recons, actually, so it it wasn't a great it wasn't a great deal to go on, and it wasn't a particularly good episode to go on. But uh, maybe maybe I might um, like it a bit better. I mean, it's it's not you know it's not terrible, but uh, you know it's, it's quite entertaining in its own gorgeous way. But uh, <laughs> it's just. It, but it is it is quite over the top and uh, and uh, ridiculous. <laughs> the problem is, it's um, I think part of the problem with the underwater menace is that it's the 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 right Jeffrey Orm is trying out so many kind of different different ideas. And why does, you know, actually, why does Zaroff always repeat himself like Foghorn Leghorn or Fred Elliott from Coronation Street? Have a day, have a day. And then he later does the you demand bit. Oh, that's uh, apparently that's, uh, I'm not sure if it's Mr. Oak or Mr. Quill, but that's Bill Burridge looking uh, not very menacing as a guard with uh, uh, a little bit more camp than a guard, but uh, never mind. Um, but yeah, I, I think Jeffrey Orm is trying to, he's throwing all all these kind of influences into the mix and they they don't really stick. They don't really kind of come together as a whole. You've got the B movie plot, you've got the destruction of world plot, you've got the uh, the Atlantis elements, um, you've got the science fiction elements, you've got the you know the mythical elements. Are they you know are they are they really kind of coming together as a whole? Um, some things work better, I think. Um, you know, and others not so much. I think I think the destruction of Atlantis has has got quite a lot of potential in the last episode, if we could see it. Up, oh, Bill Burridge about to um give the Doctor and Ramo a haircut, and um, Lolan, looking even more like Christopher Biggins than ever, is uh, is duped by um 
Polly and Ben. Ben and Polly's little adventure. I mean, would they all really be that foolish to actually be duped by that? And how on earth do they not notice that the Doctor and Ramo are just about to very noisily scoot past them? How do, how do they not hear them? <laughs> it's just, that is such, you know, I mean, it's a really stupid. Well, I mean, he, he does come across a stupid Lolum anyway, you know, he's, uh, you know, not, not the sharpest tool in the box, really. And now Lolan thinks they, they've just been eaten up or magically disintegrated by Ando. I mean, it's bizarre. Oh, God, this awful choir music. God, awful. See, even in the 60s, there was, there was no escaping from the, the equivalent of Murray's pompous choir. It's Dudley's pompous choir. Yeah, awful. Ugh, I hate choirs. I kind of like the way that they um, they kind of make this their meeting point. It's kind of like, you know, the equivalent of um, Central Park in Friends, Central Park in Friends, uh, where they meet for a, you know, for a coffee and, and the doctor says, oh, we'll meet, make this our meeting place. And, uh, uh, you know, I also, like, you know, there's an early hint of a kind of like a bromance between the doctor and Jamie, you know, you know, you know I, I like the way the doctor says, Jamie, like that, you know, but obviously very good pals. I don't think even even that at this point. I think they, uh, the production team, can see the potential for, uh, you know, Jamie being, you know, one of the all time great companions. Oh God, he does. He is so like Biggins, not just the look, but the the voice as well. I mean, it, I, I don't know if he's, you know, like Biggins is. You know, dad or uncle or whatever, I don't know, cousin, I don't know. I love the way you say he said they like and they're eating them up or something, you know. <laughs> That's that is such an unfortunate costume for a low and it's not very fetching. <laughs> <laughs> that always makes me laugh when Zav goes gah <laughs> he's a bit Gordon Ramsay like that you know he'd, he'd be good in the restaurant actually Zarrow you know get out you know <laughs> you know he, 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 he's uh He'd make a good Hell's Kitchen judge, actually. For cooking raw plankton, probably, actually. Oh, God, that is so obvious. D divvying up the lines there. Where do we go from here? Yeah, where? Yeah, tell us, Doctor. Oh, God, it's... Uh, yeah, not the scripting. That is not great, is it? It's very obvious. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, you know, I, I do read, you know, sort of uh, conflicting reports of um, how Fraser Hines was welcomed. I think um, in, uh, I think in one of them, I think 
uh, Fraser Hines says that I think Annika Wills was a little bit frosty towards him. Whereas Annika Wills says that, you know, she was, uh, she and Michael Craigs were nothing but welcoming. So um, who do you believe? But I think, you know, I, th I think it would be understandable if, um, if there was a little bit of tension in the air because, you know, you're, you know, it's, it's you living on the line, isn't it? You know, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the job that you've had for, you know, a few months, it could be, it could be taken away from you. And unfortunately, they, they were proved right in a, in a few stories time. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's a shame they didn't really kind of make more of Ben and Polly. They kind of tend to be sort of shuffled to the back of the pack, really, when it comes to memorable Doctor Who companions. Um, and I, d I don't think it helps that so many of their stories are missing. I mean, you've got um, a couple of episodes of this. You've got the War Machines, most of the Tenth Planet. Um, but I, I think the balance has been addressed a little bit with uh, with like the animations of uh, the Moonbase and uh, Power of the Daleks and the Macro Terror and the Faceless ones, actually. So you've got this bizarre market, which... Um, Uh, Dud Dudley's synthesizer music is uh, is going mad there. Um, it's a little bit strange, and the the doctor has gone all Ray Charles with his with his funky shades, and and he's he's now disguising himself as a gypsy uh, vendor. One of his many disguises, of course. Actually, you know, he he looks quite he looks he he looks like he blends in quite well, actually. <laughs> Maybe he should have worn those uh, those shades a bit more often. I mean, God knows that the Twelfth Doctor wears those awful Sonic shades. Uh, don't even get me started on that. But of course, Arrow has saved the day once again, and uh, Polly is now dressed up as a in Atlantean garb. Yeah, some of the lines are a bit off. Tastes like salt water. Well, what do you expect? This is Atlantis. I mean, it's yeah. Could have done with a bit more tweaking, I think, script-wise, script-editing-wise, I think. But, I mean, for the budget, it actually... it, I, I, th I think the design for this actually looks quite good. I think it's quite a... It is quite a good little set piece, and you've got more extras there, and it, it does give the impression of... Um, of it being quite a busy marketplace environment. You know, there's only so much you can do with, you know... Thruppence halfpenny and um, and a, and a studio really. It's um, Roma Woodnut there. I, I don't know if she's any relation to John. Uh, again, don't really know much about it. How do they not stab Polly? That you know that guy got a bit overzealous with that you know that pitchfork, whatever. Um, and he's and she and he just stabbed Polly there. I mean, how, how does she not? Um, like go out at the very at the very least. Obviously, those carpets or rugs or whatever are very tough wearing. They they probably caught the blow. Yeah, this this is an episode that, that does rely, I think, a little bit more on kind of um, sort of like set pieces. Like you've you've got this one, and then you've got the uh, the bizarre. Um, fish people dance, which uh, which we'll get to uh, in a little while, but it's kind of more about that rather than kind of progressing the story. It it, it doesn't really go anywhere. This story it kind of you know sort of uh, it runs on the spot. 
and I think it's kind of classic episode uh, episode three fod. I think some episode threes can suffer a bit from kind of you know like going nowhere. It's kind of like they've got to mark time before the big the big finish of the final episode. And of course, you know they, they've got to kind of stand around marking time and waiting for the inevitable. Dudley's music going into overdrive there. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really, not really quite sure if this is um, his best. Um, his best score, you know. I, I still think that Dudley Simpson is uh, is the finest composer the Doctor has ever had. Um, but this is a, probably isn't one of his better scores because it's you know it's purely being filmed, purely being played on uh, you know synthesized on an organ, and it just it just doesn't really work quite as well as with an orchestra. I think the orchestra scores I think are a lot better. Yeah, but this is a, a little bit dated. It's it's actually a little bit like the other the John Pertwee season eight scores because all that was on synthesizer. Yeah, this clip was used on um Thirty Years in the TARDIS documentary, I remember that, because um they were introducing the second doctrine. They were uh, you know, they cut back to how Patrick Chowton was saying, you know, sometimes we made him serious and other times we made him a bit more comical. And they used that bit, you know, with uh, the Doctor Blowing a pea shooter into Zarath's face, you know. Again, it's it's typical childlike behaviour. I mean, he's he's a big kid, really. He's the second Doctor. I, I think that's probably why he remains so popular. I think he, even with uh, newcomers, because his Doctor is, uh, you know, I, I think his Doctor relates to the child in us all, really. I mean, we're all big kids, aren't we? You know, like the fourth Doctor said, you know, what's the point in being grown up if you can't be childish? Sometimes, in my case, all the time, actually. One of these days, I will learn to grow up. I promise. Um, so we're we're on film now. With uh, I think this this was shot at Ealing. I think they they could only shoot in Ealing because uh, Ealing had a water tank, um, which the the fish, some uh, rather glum looking extras are uh, swimming about in as fish people. Um, for some reason, they remind me of John Lennon with those when he used to wear those granny glasses. Actually. So it's Jacko and oh the other guy's Paul Neil. I don't know his name. Um, it's not Damon. That's the that's the Colin Jevons character. What? Why isn't that that woman swimming there? She's only got like a one of those divers masks on. She's not actually pure fish people, which is. I'm not sure if that was a deliberate oversight or whether or, or whether she's not supposed to be a true fish person. Oh dear. Um yeah, we're coming on to this bizarre fish people ballet, which is uh <laughs> Again Dudley's music very kind of eccentric. Um da 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't go anywhere, does it? I mean, it, it just drags on for ages with uh, with these extras on very obvious Kirby wires kind of swimming at a glacial pace. Um, it, 
it just it just doesn't doesn't go anywhere um and it just looks a bit a bit clunky by today's stand i mean I, you know i shouldn't compare you know classic dot two to today's standards but i think even this is quite slow paced and glacial and uh if, I, if i'm being honest not very well directed to be honest it's just lots of lots of extras in ill-fitting costumes just floating about on kirby wise and waving their arms a lot to the sounds of uh dudley's uh very strange synthesizer which i suppose is you know i mean it's quite burbling i suppose it's like he's you know like he's got like a uh a kitchen sink and he's he's just dunked a synthesizer in that or something i, I don't know god it's still going on i mean by the, by the time i finish this i'll be like 95 years old i think yeah that was uh surreal anyway back with uh, back with zaroff and the doctrine jamie and uh ben and polly and uh and unfortunately, they're about to um, fall for a very obvious dupe, which I think is, again, where the underwater menace suffers. Because you've got, you know, they're, they're obviously, you know, bright, intelligent people, but they they fall so easily for stupid tricks and, you know, dupes, especially by Zaroff, you know. I mean, it's it's so obvious, you know, he's not, he's not the full shilly and he's not telling the truth all the time. Because Zaroff is really kind of going into ranting and raving mode now. You're fools! Idiots! I mean, come on. I mean, you know, the old, oh, I'm a death story routine. I mean, God, I mean, of course you. Of course you're not going to fall for that, are you? Are you? I, I don't know. Oh, they're still in their, uh, their coffee shop bit, yeah. I actually should have had them, you know, sort of eating plankton and, you know, sort of swilling coffee while they discuss what to do next. But, you know, I guess they didn't. Oh, oh God. As Ben says, another service. They seem to spend all their time in this, in this temple. Um, not really a particularly interesting way to spend your day going to all these, uh, these bizarre services. I mean, you know. Don't, don't they work to go to, for God's sake, you know? Actually, what do these people do for work? I mean, what do they do? They obviously don't have, uh, you know, they don't have money. Or do they? I don't know. I mean, how the hell did Zaroff get all that, you know, all pay for the all the equipment and, uh, and all the fishy pets that he has? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe he used to work for a bank in a previous life. That probably drove him around the twist. Oh, come on, Polly. Don't fall for that old guff. Re really not. Really not good characterisation for Polly at all. See? There you go. Yeah. Of course. Of course Zaroff is alive and well. Of course he's not a death store. This is quite a grisly bit coming up, actually. Um, the way he just suddenly stabs Ramo. <laughs> you can see. You know, you don't actually... You just see Zaroff... Um, thrusting the spear into Ramo, I mean, it's sort of a, the spear kind of quivers. That is, I'm, I'm amazed that the censors thing in Australia didn't cut that out, which would have uh, cut out Zaroff's wig, obviously going awry there. And it's, it's kind of coming unstuck a bit. Oh god, this music is awful. 
Shut up. <laughs> I wonder if Murray Gold watched this and took, it, took notes, you know. Oh, I'll have a pompous cry in every episode. Yeah, choral cool, cool music in Doctor Who just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It, it just reduces the threat rather than uh, bigs it up. It, it just makes it a laughing stock. Uh, Tom Watson, very obviously looking at the camera here, is, um, he's sort of like, oh, right, where's my mark? He's sort of looking up, you go, oh, right, yeah, my mark's there, right. Yeah, for a guy who's just been stabbed by a whopping great spear, you would expect there to be a little bit more blood. Um... And I doubt that he'd be able to walk that far, really. I mean, how did he get the spear up? I mean, it, wouldn't it have been a bit more realistic if he came walking down with this great big spear in his back? It would have been, maybe it would have looked a bit too comical. I don't, I don't know. Oh, stop moaning, Polly. She's re really, yeah, the, I, th I think the characterization of Polly is really starting to, wear a bit thin now you know she's just you know she's just moaning and wailing and crying and it's uh it's it's a really you know raw deal for annika wills i think <laughs> this is not a very it's quite inept some of the action in in this is quite clumsily directed like this with zaroff and his, his wig coming unstuck and uh Attempting to fight, and you know, he, he Polly literally clunks a boulder over his head. He, he Zarev just goes oof like that. You know, it's it's some, like something out of a, a cartoon. <laughs> he, does, he does this. He does this evil laugh. He literally runs away, just doing this evil laughter like a cartoon character does. I, I think that's probably the best way to describe the Underworld Menace as a as a live action cartoon because it is so cartoony, and you know, it's. It's obviously not attempting serious drama. I mean, it's... Yeah, when it comes down to it, it's just a bit of goofy fun. And really, what's wrong with that? You know, you know, maybe... Uh, maybe us Doctor Who critics are taking it a little bit too seriously. I don't, I don't know. But I, I try not to take Doctor Who that seriously. I, I think if, if you do, I think that way lies only madness. I mean, if you're literally overanalyzing every episode, um, you know, analyzing it to death, um, it it becomes a chore. It stops being fun. It, it becomes boring. Um, you know, it's it's just a bit of fun to to enjoy it. When it comes down to it, it's just a TV program, for God's sake. But uh, but it's you know, I'm I'm just trying not to you know sort of overanalyze these episodes too much that I'm commentating on them. Just sort of uh, just a fun uh, fun rewatch, really. That wasn't very good. The doctor was right about you. Yeah, no, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Joseph was really coming into. Really coming into his own here with uh, the hamometer just turn up to max. <laughs> People. <laughs> it's Michael Howard. No! <laughs> I shall offer them. <laughs> We're coming up to the infamous uh, final Nothing in the World Will Stop Me Now. Come on, Zaroff. Thank you. On which note, thank you and goodbye for uh, 
from me as uh, this episode has now come to an end. Um, like I said, goofy fun, if nothing else, not to be taken too seriously. It's it's not the not the greatest episode in the world of Doctor Who by any means, uh, far from it. But uh, but yeah, it's it's just a bit of stupid, harmless fun, really. Um, with uh, some very memorable hammy acting from uh, Joseph Forst, which will noticeably turned out toned down in the cliffhanger, which uh, which I'll be talking about very soon. Hope you can join me then for the final furlong of Underwater Menace. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from me, John Bensalia. Goodbye for now. <laughs>